The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Happiness Solved with America's Happiness Coach, Sandy Scarlatta. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. I am so happy you're here. Happiness Solved is dedicated to giving you content that is empowering, motivational, inspirational, and of course, a dose of happiness. It is my way to give back to the world and share other people's stories. This thing called life can be challenging, and my guests share their amazing stories, wisdom, and life lessons that demonstrate anyone can choose happiness. You see, happiness is a journey, not a destination. I'm Sandy Scarlatta, America's happiness coach, author of Happiness Solved. I'm a retired U.S. national and international figure skating coach, a gold medalist in ice dancing. I've been a certified life coach since 2004, and I have been inspiring others to shift their mindset and choose happiness for over 20 years. As we approach the holiday season, please make sure you take the time to take care of the most important person in your life, you. If you find yourself feeling negative, stressed, overwhelmed, or any other negative emotion, stop and take some really deep breaths in through your nose and out through your mouth. Then I want you to think about everything you have to be grateful for. You can use this exercise to start your day and to reset your day at any moment. Thank you so much for listening and I am so grateful for you. Dr. Bevan Choate, it is such an honor to have you on, and I can't wait to dive into your story. How are you today? I'm doing great. I, I appreciate the lovely introduction, and likewise. Well, I'm just amazed when, when I saw your story and you reached out to request to be a guest. You're a 37-year-old urologist who suffered a stroke, mm-hmm. and then you dealt it, then you... Um, wrote about it in a novel called The Stroke Artist, which was top seven in the Islands Magazine International Writing Contest. And then you've been doing lots of great podcasts. And I'm going to talk about your happiness obs- obsession a little bit later, but yeah, it's so scary for me because I'm 20 years older than you. I know I don't like that, right? But, you know, um, you know, that's one of the things about getting older, you know? Mm-hmm especially in your fifties, like I am, because you're like, Oh my gosh, you know, things like this can happen anytime, but that doesn't happen to people in the (laughs) thirties. Not supposed to, right? And uh, it's not supposed to. No, I How on earth? Yeah. So talk, talk about that story because that's really, especially in the prime of your career as a urologist. I mean, that's, yeah. Yeah, so I'll set the stage. You know, after after a long and grueling residency, you know, of five years, you know, many sleepless nights and lots of hard work to get where I was. 
I was I was finally kind of seeing that light at the end of the tunnel. The um, you know it's this sort of uh, happiness paradox there. You know I'm getting towards the the end and seeing the light, and then all of a sudden you know one day I, I wake up in the morning and uh, I couldn't stand. You know I was dizzy. The room was spinning. Started throwing up, and even even then, with all of those symptoms, I thought there's no one in hell and having a stroke. That was like the probably the fifth thing down on my list. And um, so, did you know, your medical a, training like do you go through that as a doctor? Because I haven't interviewed yeah. that many and doctors. You start, you start kicking in, and you, and you kind of start right. running through the differentials. What okay? What causes you know? What causes vertigo? What causes this? And um, and know. unlike the rest of us who go to Google, you've got it all in your brain, right? <laughs> yeah, at least that part was still working. And um, but yeah, you know, my my wife, who's a, a family medicine doctor, was like, "Look, we got to take you to an ER." And I was like, "What are they going to say? You know, what do they know, right?" And, uh, and <laughs> finally, I mean, it was hilarious trying to. I mean, at the time, I, weigh, I weighed a lot more. I was probably like, uh, you know, two two fifteen or something like that. And she, her, trying to shoulder me to the, the car was, was probably a pretty funny sight by all the neighbors, but uh, she finally got me to the car, we went to the ER, and they, they uh, you know, they, when they asked me, they kept asking me if I wanted a CT scan, and I kept saying no, because there's no way in hell I'd, I have a stroke, right? And, and uh, Of course not. Right, and so finally, you know, finally I agreed to it, and then they showed me the CT scan, and I was like, uh-oh, that looks very bad, and they said, yep, you had a stroke, and so... Um, yeah, it was kind of a completely freak deal. A lot of people ask me, you know, whether it was something you were born with or, or did your family have anything like that? And I, I said, no, it's just kind of one of those fluke deals. And uh, it was just a, a little artery in my neck that uh, that got clotted because the lining of it sheared and then it sent a blood clot to my brain and it primarily affecting like the vision and balance portion of my brain. And, uh, and so that's, that's where I ended up and, you know, three surgeries later and, uh, um, a prolonged stay in the ICU, I finally made it out of the hospital, or at least to another hospital with, with wow. less, less deep noises and things. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's where I ended up. Oh my goodness. So do you think because of your age, because you were young, is that how you were able to bounce back so quickly or was it just that type of stroke that wasn't as severe as some of the other ones like my mother-in-law for example and she's in her um, late 70s you know she she was she still has a lot of paralysis on her entire right side and mm -hmm. I don't know that she's gained some of it back but she'll probably never gain it all back completely so I, I'm just not sure if it's like an age thing or, or was it the type of stroke that you had I think it was a little of both and I you know I, I... I hate to say that, but but um, you know, there at least you know there's, there's most of those major strokes that uh, you know where people wind up with paralysis and things like that are more they they deal more with like the hemispheres of the brain, which which kind of are a lot closer to our you know critical areas. And, and my area was in the cerebellum, which which mostly affects coordination and fine motor skills and balance and all of these other things that. You know, we completely take for granted, but uh, right. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, that, and then I was, I was young. I was, I was healthy. You know, I, I went to the gym quite a bit, ate pretty healthy, and uh, you know, was overall a fairly healthy guy. So you know, that that definitely helped. But it, you know, what I what I was told is it's kind of like how much how much work and kind of how much drive you put into it 
probably within the first six months that that determines i think how much um you get back basically mm. so what was that like for you because that's a pretty traumatic life altering event at such a young age how did that change the way you view life the way you view your career maybe even has it made a difference in the way that you relate to your your patients talk a little bit about that because i'm i'm really curious about that and and i love hearing people's stories because whether or not people suffer a stroke, you know, your experience will help others get through whatever they're going through, right? right. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, to, to answer that all of the above, I think, um, you know, I think it definitely helped me. You know, I'm a urologist, and it's, it's kind of funny. Um, you know, I, I had to have a catheter while I was awake, and that's that's a humbling experience, you know, being someone <laughs> in place. Like, and and oh, you're, you're usually on the other side of that, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, and then, um, you know, all of a sudden that's happening to me, and I was just like, man, this is the definition of, uh, uh, you know, humility or whatever here, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, so I think, um, I think it changed a lot, you know, I, I, I mean, I kind of, I had a choice to make, it was either, it was either kind of give in, and and just you know celebrate how terrible this was or um or really try to you know make something with it and, and um you know i don't know get get whatever silver lining i could out of it and um and so yeah i just kind of said look i'm not gonna let this thing beat me I, i've got i've got so much more life to live and whatever happens happens but i'm you know i'm gonna go down swimming and uh, and so yeah i think initially um you know when i was when i was kind of in the recovery phases um i don't i don't know i the way i describe it is kind of like um you know these these stages of grief and grief theory i was kind of in this like denial phase really i felt kind of like a shark or something where it was like i had to keep swimming i had to keep moving forward and there was just no other option or, or a diet. It's not like I, um, yeah, I just kind of, I don't know. It was weird. It wasn't like I was sorrowful about it. And that, and that wasn't, and it wasn't that I was hopeful about anything either. It was just like, Hey, you gotta, you gotta get from point A to point B. And that it went on like that for a while. And then I think when I was kind of more in the recovery phase with rehab and, you know, really trying to get those skills back and it was kind of less about survival, you know, then I started having those, those deeper, more introspective thoughts and, one of my urology colleagues told me, hey, man, you should write all these things down. And I, and I finally agreed. And, uh, you know, at first it was, it was kind of just like writing down facts and, you know, maybe things I didn't, maybe things that were funny I didn't really want to forget. And then I ultimately, you know, cranked out a kind of a manuscript of, of like, um, it's really sad to be writing a memoir at, <laughs> at like 37. Uh, unfortunately, that's, that's kind of what it falls under, right? But, um, but the whole purpose of it, like after it kind of started taking on its own life, was like, hey, you know, you, you, you have um, something uh, valuable to offer. You know, you're a, you're a physician. You're not you're not only like a someone who knows about this stuff, but you're a clinician. Like you take care of people, and right. and you kind of have a unique perspective that that other people do not. And a, and a lot of the the stroke books and things that I was reading are written for more of like. Um, like neuroscientists and PhDs, you know, very different kinds of doctors. And so 
I said, you know, what what's different about me is that like, you know, I'm I'm in the trenches, um, and and once at one point I was on the other side of it, but but now I'm in it, and um, and so I think I have something valuable to offer. But yeah, it, it definitely um, I just changed the way I I kind of view everything, and from especially in terms of taking care of patients because. Um, it's just, yeah, like that ability to actually empathize and be like, well, what are they, what do you think they're actually thinking at this time when I say X, Y, or Z? And then I'm, and then I'm, I'm trying, I'm like, what were you thinking about when the doctors told you that and so forth? And then, and so it's kind of like, it just completely changes the perspective. And, and, and now to all my patients that are getting a catheter and they're like, is this going to hurt? I'm like, Oh yeah, it's gonna hurt, you know. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, but I can actually say that now and not be blowing smoke. So, um, so yeah. It's, well, it, I would imagine that people really appreciate that brutal honesty because, yeah, I, I don't want to hear it's not gonna hurt, and then you're like, <laughs> right? But yeah, wow. there's a, there's a compa- you know, um, there's definitely a compassionate way to deliver those things and, and definitely try to be that way. But, but you know, lying is, is certainly not the answer either. So, um, so yeah, trying to learning to kind of thread that needle a little bit better is, um, um, yeah, it's definitely given, given me some perspective on that. And uh, I just think um, overall for, you know, as bad as this situation was, it, it definitely, um changed my life for the better in many ways. How awesome is it? Because not a lot of people are able to view these traumatic events that happen in their lives. And when you can reach a point where you say, this happened for me and not to me, that is such an empowering experience to have. How has that how has that changed you? So I kind of think that I was I was um, I don't know like with 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 kind of my view of, of success and and uh, I think with that you know happiness kind of has a, a play in that especially in the in the modern world but um, so I think I was building this 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 really tall tower you know it was like like almost towards this guy, you know, this, this really tall tower of success, you know, it's like go to medical school, go to residency, do this, do that. And then you finally get to the top and then all it takes is a little bit of wind and, and the whole thing topples over. And, um, you know, I kind of, when I, when I had all this time to, you know, reflect and, and, and trying to get better and so forth, I was like, you know, um, there are lots of other areas in your life that you kind of, you know, just, just sort of, you didn't, you didn't maintain, let's say, like maybe, you know, um, you know, I, like I didn't go to the dentist for several years. You know, I, I could have spent more time, uh, you know, being a better husband, being a better son, being a better brother, you know, all these other things. And, um, you know, I could have, I could have uh, you know, spent more time with a, with a community of sorts and things like that. And I just, I, I just let those things go all in the name of, um, you know, me sort of, you know, building what I thought success was and, and I, I like to tell people sometimes, like, in a, you think about, you know, your own life and success and so forth in terms of, like, economy. It's like, um, don't they tell you to diversify? you got to diversify your portfolio. It's like, um, <laughs> I, I, I didn't uh, necessarily um, diversify. It was more like, it was like all, 
you know, the surgical subspecialty and that was it. And, um, you know, and beyond that, I paid my taxes and like, that's it's like, so very, um, very non-diversified. And I kind of thought, well, you know, like what would happen if, you know, I died or what would happen if my stroke was so serious that I couldn't go back to um, any kind of medicine period. Um, like what would people say about me or what, how would I feel about myself in that situation? And I kind of think, you know, a lot of areas would be lacking. So I've kind of changed my whole um, mentality, I think, on, on what it means to be happy or what it means to be successful. And, um, and I, so I, I would say it's, it's very much more diversified nowadays. It's not so um, one thing. Yeah, yeah. My, my perspective, that was like a huge um, kind of psychic shift for me, I think. Sounds like it for sure, for sure. Yeah. And that, and I mean, I think if if something's going to do it, having a stroke at such a young age would certainly kind of hit you upside the head and be like, okay, you know. Right. And it's amazing how things like that ha- have to happen to us so that we realize they're happening for us. Right. For sure. All right. So you wrote about this. Now you say that it's a novel. Is it a novel? So did, and it's called The Stroke Artist. So did mm-hmm. you take your story and make it kind of fictitious or, or is it a memoir or no, a combination of I guess, I guess it really is a, a memoir. I, I kind of, I kind of, uh, I don't know, an adventurous nonfiction or something like that. There, there is a, um, there is a, a large portion of it where, so I was under sedation, heavy sedation for about 26 days in the ICU after brain, you know, lots of brain surgeries and other things like that. So they had to keep me on a ventilator and I have a, I have like a little uh, tracheostomy scar there as well. But um, so I was under sedation for, for the better half of a month. And uh, and so a large portion of the book was, was me kind of living a completely separate or alternate reality um, while I was under sedation. And it was, it was pretty, uh, pretty intense and, and very, um, adventurous and wild and uh but it was it's so hard to describe that like when i when i woke it's definitely like a like a dream that um you know when you wake up and 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 you said that was that definitely happened that was real and then multiply that by about three and that was kind of like my experience at least while under sedation but then then much of it is, is more memoir sort of at the, on the front end and the back end, but, uh, and then with the back end being kind of like lessons learned and, and, uh, you know, sort of change on outlook and so forth. Wow. All right. So let's talk about your happiness obsession. And I love this. You do palette knife painting with, with acrylics mm-hmm. and you paint every day now. So, so talk about that. I'm so intrigued because that's like on my bucket list is I want to start painting. And I I just haven't had – we can always make time, right? That's, yeah, yeah. I don't even like to use that as, as yeah. an excuse. It's just yeah. not a priority for me at this time in my life. And it's going to be at some point. It's just not right now. But talk about that because I love that. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. So that's become a huge thing. Like I um, – so I picked that up. Mostly on on YouTube, like the whole YouTube University thing, like um, and and I painted a little bit as a kid, nothing nothing formal, maybe an art class in high school or something like that. But uh, but yeah, so like I just kind of learned or self self taught that, kind of right before the stroke happened, and uh, maybe a few months before, and then 
when I was recovering, it was like, okay, I went from this um, you know, very stressful multi-hour-a-day job to, okay, now now I just have to go to rehab for six hours a day. And, uh, and even though, like, I could still barely walk and, and you know, having trouble balancing, I could still use my dominant hand. And, and so when I get home in the evenings, I was like, I have to do something. Like, I'm always, you know, go, 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 do, do, do. And, um, and so I was like, I'm going to start you know, painting again and um and for a while it was like so gratifying because i i kind of had my my career stripped away or at least it, let's just say it was hanging in the wings and uh, and i didn't have you know any any way to to sort of feel like i was contributing or or doing anything for the world or whatever so like or myself even so um so I started painting, and I, and I would just do it every single day, and it was, like, uh, therapeutic um, more than anything. And uh, I still continue to do it. And, and, I, and it's weird. I don't think I've ever done anything every day. But, like, I definitely paint every day. It's it's, it's strange. And I, it's, it's almost like a compulsion, but but uh, I wouldn't say a habit or anything, but I, I just love it and, and just do it do a little bit every day. And so it's, it's kind of like that, uh, that whole, you know, 1% better type thing. Like, uh, where yeah. you know, it's like, I don't, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, you know, blow smoke and say that I, you know, I paint for six hours a day and you know, now I'm, the, you know, the best in the nation or something. Now that's completely not the case. It's like, I paint every day, but I just paint some days it'll be, 15 minutes and other days it'll be two hours, you know, and uh, it's just whatever I'm feeling. But I, I at least have that little kind of pilot light on inside that's saying, do a little bit of painting. And, uh, and so I'll do it. But yeah, I um, you know, I kind of started like a little little side business doing that. And uh, I've definitely made enough money to support my habit, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to be getting rich anytime soon. But, um, but yeah, it's been, a, it's been a great thing. Definitely. Yeah, but but the thing with that, Dr. Choate, is that you're doing your passion and you're still a doctor and you're still taking care of your patients. And then you have that outlet that's something completely, it's not, it's like, right, you're, and I always forget the right, right brain, left brain, they're total opposites, right? Your yeah. scientific brain is completely opposite from your creative brain. And that's so. such a beautiful thing. I love it. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I think you got to be a little, little creative in, in, in neurology every now and again. You know, it's, oh, okay, yeah, right. It's it's plumbing and so forth, but it's like it's like plumbing on the fly. So sometimes you gotta you gotta have a little a little bit of creativity mixed in there with all the, the science stuff. All right. Well, that's a great segue because before we finish up, since I have a urologist on my podcast uh -huh. and. Bladder cancer killed my grandmother. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. My well, she was she never went to the doctors, and okay. they didn't find it until she was 83 years old, and she was just too she was too old to really it was too far advanced by mm -hmm. the time she found out. However, with today's, you know, the the technology and 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 the accessibility for most people for medical care, my mother who will be 82 next month. She's um, monitored. We constantly are monitoring her. She had stage zero bladder cancer, so she, they got rid of it right away. We go in next month um, for another biopsy, you know, and we're just being. And then I've had my own scares, and now I have a relationship with a doctor, and you know, we're 
staying on top of it. Right. What is a couple of things that people can do? Because I, you know, we always think about your heart health, brain health, you know, lower cholesterol. And yet bladder cancer can be very, very serious and it can be very, very deadly. What are things that people can do to help, you know, that are simple things that can help to at least help so that they don't go, you know? I mean, so I think like regular, like at least annual screenings and things like that with the the primary care are important and at least to maybe bring them up. I think the, the best thing that anyone can do uh, no, I'm going I'm to sound like a total teetotaler here, but, I get, but no smoking. You know? um, smoking is like the, probably the number one risk factor for bladder cancer. And I actually wish right. instead of all of these like lung cancer commercials, or the COP, you know, where they say this person has COPD, I wish they would show something with, with like uh, really bad bladder cancer because that would be, um, you know, to see some of the, the major big whack surgeries that some of these people have to undergo in order to to survive a bladder cancer you know like a very advanced one um you know it's a big big change in your in your quality of life and so yeah for some reason bladder cancer doesn't really get much of a um um a play in terms of all this uh, the anti-smoking campaigns <laughs> but uh yeah they definitely um you know anyone that ever had sees blood in their urine period um it, at minimum get checked out but like in annual screenings and things like that they should be checking those things with with urine tests and so forth just to to see sure. yeah well my father actually um had bladder cancer and he's my stepfather but he raised me since i was three years old so i consider him my father mm-hmm. he had um bladder cancer had his bladder removed um it turned into um, bone cancer, and at the same time, he was diagnosed with um, a slight diabetes, and he eliminated sugar. He was given three months to live. He lived for 16 years, wow. and the only reason I'm bringing this up is that colostomy bag, it's no joke. It's oh, not, yeah. I mean, you can have a, I mean, he lived a very normal life. He played golf. But there were times where it got infected and there were times that it really hindered his quality of life. Now, granted, he lived for 16 more years. I was pregnant with my son, my only son, when he was given three months to live and he lived for 16 more years and he got to, you know, be a great influence and role model for my son. And my little brother had a couple of daughters and he got to spend a lot of quality time with them. But it's no joke. Yeah, that's that's incredible. I mean, that's a um, that's a really long time to live, like with that. It you is know, right. I, I mean, that's that's excellent. Like, um, excellent. Yeah. Anyway, and yeah, he, I he, I div- I I think that had a lot to do with sugar. Now, I don't know in the medical community how much weight they carry. <laughs> I've read that cancer needs sugar to survive, and you know, who knows? But um, but I I credit that and. His mindset, because he was given three months to live, his mindset shifted. And every day for 16 years, I spoke to him on the phone every day. And he was the most positive person. And he made that shift. And I think that that was more, that that gave him more life more than anything, was just that he was so grateful to be alive. No, yeah, I mean, I've I definitely seen... Um... Like we used to, you know, have this this kind of old, uh, you know, died in the wall 
surgeon, uh, he, was, well, he was my partner for a while, and he used to say, you know, if, they, if somebody loses their will to live, then, then they're, they're going, you know? And uh, yeah. I mean, it's true. Like, you've seen these, these folks that undergo maybe a big operation like, like that, and then, and then you can just kind of see it, you know, go in their face that they, they just don't really have that motivation or, or want or desire to be around anymore and, and then that, that can just take someone and, and the opposite's true you know like I mean people that have yeah, really great outlook and and uh, strong desire to want to keep going and they and they beat stuff and they do it all the time and you're, and you're just like hmm uh, it's like what, what church do they go to I want to go to their church <laughs> right <laughs> no yeah. it's 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 all your perspective right, right. and yeah, well, yeah. And you had that life-altering event at 37 years old that gave you a different perspective in life. And I'm so sorry that that happened to you. And at the same time, it sounds like, you know, you got through it and you're on the other side and and you overcame it, which is yeah. just an absolute beautiful, beautiful story and a beautiful lesson for everybody listening that you can overcome these amazing challenges yeah. no matter what. And thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, and I, I definitely feel that, feel, you know, feel that way now. All right, Dr. Choate, is there anything else that you would like to share with the audience before we finish up our interview? No, just to, just before you know, before you give up, just take a take a deep breath and then and then think about uh, you know what's what's good from this, if anything. And uh, if you can hang on to one little one little shred, then sometimes that that grows into something a lot bigger. And uh, and yeah. uh, that's all I got. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Dr. Choate, where can people get a hold of you and find your book? So I'm, I'm on um, Instagram at uh, Bevan Choate, and um, my book is on Amazon and um, Barnes and & Nobles in the hard copy and e-reader. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Choate, and best yeah. wishes. I hope that you have a very long life with no more instances and you can just be that inspiration that you are for all of us today so thank you so much likewise likewise same to you and uh yeah let me let me know if you have any uh, any questions about any bladder cancer scares or anything okay. <laughs> i will do that for sure thank you all right well thank you so I certainly hope that you enjoyed today's interview. Thank you so much for joining me. And as always, I hope that you and your family are healthy and safe and that your lives are filled with peace, joy, and happiness. Take care, everyone.